as people started to live and work at home, they rediscovered their neighborhoods. And what's going on, and we can, we'll see this more and more and more, is more and more service brands and more and more providers are finding ways to make life easier for us at home. Hello and welcome back to Marketing Trek, the podcast for professionals with a passion for marketing and communications. God, who wrote that? I think it might be me. Anyway, this is a podcast where the best minds in the industry explore the hottest trends in marketing and discuss the pitfalls companies and professionals alike need to avoid. And you are very welcome. My name is Dominic Halls. I am the Group Chief Executive Officer at Selby Anderson, which is a fast, fast growing marketing services group. Last week on the podcast, I met Steve Millman from Dynata to talk about cookies. On the show, we discussed exactly what cookies are and how marketers can use them. Steve explained the difference between third and first party cookies. And I also got the scoop on an amazing innovation Steve has designed, and it's going to help redefine how we use cookies in the future. If you haven't already listened, I strongly, strongly suggest you do go back, have a listen to that episode. It is fab. On today's episode of Marketing Trek, we're going to be getting straight to the heart of direct-to-consumer commerce. Now, unless you were living under a rock, you will know that the pandemic accelerated the growth of D2C exponentially. In those COVID years, it made sense that consumers wanted to stay at home rather than make their way down to the local high street. But now, two years on, the pandemic's over, but it looks like D2C still isn't going anywhere. Why is that? Is it convenience or maybe something more? How is the direct consumer trend going to affect not only how brands and companies sell, but how they interact with one another? And is digital all that really matters now? Well, to find out the answers to these and other important questions, I sought the help of some incredible experts. Later in the show, I meet up once again with Dan Ellis from Orchid on how e-commerce is shifting practices from a B2B perspective and I also speak to Yakemi Otaru from Dokaru on why digital can never quite replace human-to-human interaction when it comes to business. But to start with, we're going to be meeting Jerry Hopkinson, Chief Executive Officer of Selby Labs, which of course is part of our very own Selby Anderson Group. Now, Jerry has a great mind for business and predicting what the future might look like. But I think one thing that Jerry does better than almost anyone else I know is understanding behavior, understanding commercial behavior, understanding consumer behavior. And he's got a really good way of communicating what he understands in a concise and compelling way. And in the conversation that follows, Jerry outlines the key principles for how a business can grow e-commerce and why personalization is the future of direct-to-consumer. But first, I asked Jerry how DTC has become so popular, and he explains why it's not such a new thing. Let's take a listen. It's one of those things that, um, you know, did it come out of nowhere? No. Um, is there a long trend and buildup? Absolutely. Was there a moment that drove it at, you know, Absolutely. And it's very much, I think, uh, in parallel with something like Zoom. So we think about Zoom, you know, we all were using Zoom sort of before COVID. And then now it's mainstream. It went, it got five years on the adoption curve in about five weeks. The same can be said for DTC. I think if you want to go right back to origins, which I think is really interesting thing to do, 
there were DTC, bra DTC brands in the 18th century, 19th century. You know, my grandparents ordered things that were delivered direct to them from manufacturers. It is absolutely not a new idea. You've got the whole catalog culture in America, perhaps not so much in Britain, but I remember as a kid growing up, there were catalogs, you know, and catalogs, there were upmarket catalogs, there were downmarket catalogs, everything in between. So that kind of, which was called mail order, right? And it was huge. So this is building on those things. It's building on those situations. And um, what is driving it even more, um, I think we can talk about some core drivers. We spoke briefly, but let's come back to it, about uh, the big one, which is COVID and convenience consumption. So suddenly we were at home. We didn't want to go shopping. <laughs> Thank you very much. We were all adept online. We just ramped up our ability to do that. Um, so big, big driver. I think on the supply side, which is, so that's demand side, growth curve stuff. On the supply side, you know, Shopify, in a word, um, proud of them, Canadians, you know, everyone talks about the impact Amazon has had on retail, quite right. It is predominant. It is, you know, the, the monolithic brand in retail. I would argue Shopify rather invisibly has had as much effect on retail in the last decade. And that's simply through the ease by which people can set up an online marketplace and just have all the difficult stuff, you know, done for them. Interestingly, another big part of this is um, the whole kind of community retail and how we all rediscovered where we lived and how suddenly, you know, being at home seemed like a good idea, right? So as people started to, to live and work at home, they rediscovered their neighborhoods and what's going on, and we can, we'll see this more and more and more, is more and more service brands and more and more um, providers are finding ways to make life easier for us at home. So example, Klarna are looking at prototyping and launching effectively um, e-commerce mailboxes. So community mailboxes, you have one and you, but you do shopping and that stuff goes there. It's safe and secure. You pop down when you, when you're ready and off you go. So it's all these building blocks making it so much easier for people to shop directly. In the next section, Jerry explains the pleasure of shopping and he outlines DTC's link with subscription-based services. What he says is really fascinating. So let's give it a listen. If we go back again, you know, I'm very keen on going backwards a little bit to, to understand the, the origins of things, right? So I don't know about you, but the first DDC kind of brand I can think of is actually a subscription-based thing. And it was the Abel and Cole, and it gives away my middle-class yeah, background, yeah. was the Abel and Cole fruit and veg box, you know, and everybody in the neighborhood. I was there, I was hey, there, hey. I was there. And we were all doing it, because why were we doing it? Because it kind of felt fun. It was an it was element. New. Right? Is it was that exciting? Yeah, it's exciting. You didn't know what you were going to get. You didn't know what you were going to get. <laughs> and you know what? There's something super cool about that. You know, one of the things about shopping in real life that that you never hear an e-commerce you know retailer talk about because of course they don't want to is the joy and the pleasure and that that discovery. Right? We all know what it's like. You know, you go into town and you're like, wow, I found this. Right? Almost like I, you know, it's all it's a usual thing you say to someone they come back from shopping. Did you find anything? Right? So that hunter-gatherer instinct kicks in in all of us. And yeah, I think it played into that. But I think that sort of set up some really interesting tram lines for DD, DTC. And I think a really big story coming into 23 and beyond 
is subscription. Okay. okay. Um, so in the States, it's big business already. It's huge. 200, more than 200 million uh, subscriptions, people getting things, effect, effectively the box economy, right? Yeah. Boxes being delivered. Um, it's for replenishment. Right, so who wants to buy washing powder? Who wants to buy toilet paper? Whatever it is, it's for discovery and just for joy. Beer fifty-two, a yeah. random box of twelve beers arrives every month. Oh, you do it? There you I go. I used to. I yeah. don't because that actually, right. as it turns out, I don't want random beers. I do, <laughs> but I want random within very stride parameters. <laughs> so we've all we've probably all sat in the various pitches and discussions with brands. Go, you know what? I'm doing a subscription wine service. I'm doing a subscription blah blah service. But like a lot of these things, you know, 10, 15 years ago, they seemed a pipe dream. They're actually now a really smart play for lots of good reasons, and it's a huge economy in its own right. There was, um, in the last sort of three months, a lot of news about how people were killing and culling their subscriptions. That was about discretionary spend because we're heading, you know, inflation, cost of living. But actually, we've all got too many subscriptions and we don't always need a subscription. Um, some of them are just so smart. Certainly, there's category predominance in DDC. So food and drink, you know, stuff I regularly want. Um, beauty, beauty pie, um, real success story in this country. Uh, amazing, super smart. What it, I mean, and, and a really, I think a really good case study for DTC and online, you know, is like kind of looking at the, the beauty industry and going, okay, um, markup in this space is about 300% plus, right? What if I was happy to take 20% markup, 30% markup. And what I did was I had a very transparent discussion with sophisticated shoppers and saying, you know what this product does, you know about the efficacy, exactly the same as these other guys, it's just about 250% cheaper. And such a smart yeah. uh, business model. But then, um, you know, elegance of execution, which as we all know, is where branding and, and good marketing come in, right? So, you know, they could have screwed up so many different ways by being really poor on delivery, by, you know, the packaging letting you down, by the products not doing what, what you say they're going to do, by the whole transactional aspect of the site not working. They just get it all right. Jerry bringing up the cost effectiveness of direct consumer is bang on point with his example of beauty pie. When you're reaching consumers directly, of course, there's less money being lost on the middlemen. But for consumers, there's a whole other financial cost they face in the shape of subscription services. And I wanted to talk to Jerry about that. Subscription service runover, consumer fatigue, all those sorts of things. And, and this is what he had to say. My advice for subscription retailers, you've got to make it as easy to cancel your subscription as it is to get into it. Yeah. My experience of these uh, of subscriptions is you can sign up and put your credit card in online, but when you when you want to stop, you've got to either send an email to an empty email box or make a phone call. They call you back. They try and persuade you to stay. They give yeah. you distance. And I understand that everyone wants you to re-sign. Yeah. But one of the barriers to signing a subscription will be that people know they're going to be difficult to get out of, so yeah. they'll stop doing it. So if the subscription business is going to keep growing, they have to treat us like adults and make it easy for us to change our minds. It's a really good point, and I think that speaks to customer service and reputation. I think that there, we live in a world now 
that, I mean, an online world that is still largely unregulated. And it's quite shocking when we compare it with the physical world, which is very regulated. So if you behaved like your average online cowboy, <laughs> right, and set up a physical play, you'd be run out of business. Yeah, that's a good point. And so we're going to see that tighten up. It feels like there's a space in the world for a new generation of brands that really want to be um, in it for the long term, really want to not do the hard sell, want to allow the, the strength of their products and of what they do speak for itself and be much easier with things like, hey, if you know, yes, we do a subscription. And if you want to end it, no problem. See you later. You're always welcome back. You know, that sort of gentlemanly, gentlewomanly behavior, um, I think, could well come back. What we're going to see are a whole bunch of different variations on, you know, if you commit either monthly, annually, whatever, you will get benefit. Now, that benefit might not always be financial. The benefit could be community. The benefit could be exclusivity. It could be access. So somewhere between subscription and membership, which is a great idea, yeah. underplayed in retail. I can't agree more with what Jerry said here. Subscription models are usually affordable and convenient, but the thought of forgetting about them as they build up can prevent consumers from signing up in the first place. So I wanted to know what else is in the future of direct-to-consumer commerce, and here is what Jerry thinks. If we talk about what's coming, I think, which is super exciting for, um, particularly for beauty, but probably also for us as human beings, healthcare well-being is personalization. So Beiersdorf, for example, the owners of Nivea, um, have launched a DDC brand, which effectively is personalized beauty products. So it involves a real understanding of you, all of your specific markers, including some genetic markers, all of your kind of um, individual needs. And then you get products which are absolutely created for you that pinpoint efficacy for you and do exactly what you need. Um, and it's that um, idea, again, talked about for years of mass customization. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that is enabled and I think healthcare personalization, that is a huge massive, isn't it? opportunity. Yeah. Huge, huge, massive. huge. Look, there are too many, probably DTC brands in the world. Sorry to say that. It's a horrible yeah. thing to say. Some wow. of them are going to get cold, right? They've been puffed up by um, a very short term, now largely gone, you know, uh, forced um, COVID situation. They've been pumped up by a lot of growth stock and investment money flowing their way. And now it's going to be the attrition time, right? So, but we're still, if you, if you just Google any, I mean, there are like sort of four in the, in the UK, 400 DDC brands for sleep, very related stuff. Okay. You know, that's a lot. So what we're going to see are a couple of things. I think we're going to see natural culling, but I think we're also going to see the, 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 the rise of, you know, curation. Um, actually, if you think about a department store, it's curation. Yeah. Right. So we're going to see, I think, the equivalent. We're seeing that in the real world. So we're seeing um, some guys called Situ who are operating at Westfield, 7,000 square feet. It's essentially a walk-in catalog of DTC brands. Demos, you can find out about them, you know, just check them out. 
But when you want to purchase, you're handed back to the brand. Okay. So really interesting That's potential cool. future. Really smart, yeah. yeah. You know, that might be where retail goes. Wow, that sounds really exciting. I think curation could really help streamline direct-to-consumer in the future. And lastly, I wanted to ask Jerry what he thought businesses who were thinking of setting up a direct channel could learn from those who are doing it already. Here's what he said. One of the things um, I think that's really important is to ask yourself how realistic and practical would it be for someone to make a decision about a product um, online and get that product delivered to their door. Um, now, some of those things are very easy to do, um, but it's about thinking through the customer journey in a lot of detail. So I'd put that like almost number one. Customer journey. Customer, customer journey, journey. Mapping, planning, uh, understand, that, yeah. touch points, experience. 100%. Kind of okay. I I just ask yourself that question. So the second thing is people make decisions about a website in three seconds. And that's largely aesthetic. You will never hear an engineer talk about aesthetics. You know, I used to work with a really great engineer. He used to say to me, you know, how uh, it's it, how something looks is kind of um, important, but how it works is everything. And I get that, right? How a site works ultimately is important. Is it secure? Does the transactional layer function well? You know, how do you go? But aesthetics are important because you are creating um, instant impression. And if you don't get that right. So the second thing I'd say is really take care with how you show up and invest in that environment because that is everything. Um, and then the final thing, which is really old fashioned, and that's kind of one of the things I like about DTC, is actually, you know, the brand, the packaging become so important, right? Unboxing is a thing, yeah. packaging so important, but also logistics, getting the thing from A to B, getting it there when you said you'd get it there, being reliable and responsive. So customer service, the really old fashioned values of retail yeah. come right back. So, so the future yeah. is back to the future. Yes. Service. Mm. Wow, that's really interesting. Thank you so much, Jerry, for joining me on the show. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. This is just a reminder, you're listening to Marketing Trek, powered by Selby Anderson. If you've got something you'd like to tell us, if you'd like to come on and help guide marketers' view of the world, why not get in touch? You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Dom Hawes. Uh, connect to me. Uh, please then uh, email me and tell me, or uh, message me, tell me what you'd like to say, and, uh, and we'll get right back to you. Let's get on with the show. The next guest on today's podcast is Daniel Ellis from Orchid. Now, if you've listened to the episode about audio marketing, then you'll probably remember him. But in case you didn't already listen to it, Daniel's managing director of very cool development company, Orchid. They are indeed one of the leading uh, digital brand experience agencies in London. They help companies uh, build tailor-made digital products, platforms, and websites across multiple industries, including energy, technology, and consumer goods. 
Now, they know all about direct-to-consumer and in a business-to-business environment too because they help brands and companies connect with their consumers in effective and meaningful ways, all built around consumer experience, or CX, as we call it. So, to start with, let's hear a quick intro from Dan before jumping right in to how the pandemic has accelerated change when it comes to -to direct-to-consumer commerce. So my name is Daniel Ellis. I'm the Managing Director of Orchid. We are a digital product and web development agency. Thank you very much. We don't want to talk about the pandemic forever, but the pandemic and the behaviours that we all had to adopt led to a number of businesses changing the way that they work. So we saw consumer brands going direct to consumer. We saw the emergence of a lot of new brands who were creating tea propositions. And that started to filter through into the B2B thinking as well. Where do you think businesses should be thinking when it comes to e-commerce? The acceleration due to the pandemic, and I know we're not here to talk about the pandemic, but it has accelerated change. It has changed people's mindsets. It's enabled people to be more brave, to tap into new markets and try to do things differently. And that's actually been very exciting to see. The areas that I really have started to enjoy is actually the change with the B2C cycle. So we are really getting highly personalized, unique experiences for our customers. So the demand has created businesses to really think about how they accelerate their e-commerce offering. And we're seeing businesses of all kinds accelerate and provide wonderful solutions in such a short period of time, which has been fabulous to see. The bit that I'm really interested in actually is the relationship and the need still for retail. So bricks and mortar, because we accelerate the performances and how we present our information to our consumers so we can select the right products, right place, right time. And they start to bring in some really highly personalized aspects too, which really start to bring in a different change in our behaviors. So at any given time, we can select a pair of shoes, we can choose the colors, we can customize it and order it, etc. But actually, when we're talking about commodity products, these are easy decisions to make. When we're starting to really talk about high value personal aspects, that's where the change in the knock-on effect to actually the wider retail market is having a knock-on effect. So the role of retail is changed in the, in the sense that actually they are now becoming more of a showroom than actually a multi-brand experience. Therefore, if you can engage with your customers, provide the information, the selections of products to drill down, etc. If a particular product is of high value, the chances are you would want to go and see that in store because it's very emotionally personable and you want to feel it, pick it up, utilize it, etc. Make sure that is the right product for you. Then maybe going back to an e-commerce cycle where you make your purchase decision, because let's be honest, we all probably go into store these days, pick up the right product that we like, then probably search Amazon for the cheapest possible option. The actual advantage really, I think, for brands is to join the dots. So start with their e-commerce solution where they can identify the right product, join it up with the theatre that actually retail provides, and then actually empower the customers in store with a dedicated brand experience to make that purchase. I always think of this as in the future, if I was out and about and selecting a product, go through the detail in great detail, actually go through every specification, but this is a highly priced item. I then want to go in store because I have to see it in real life. But actually, if I could see it in real life and therefore then make the purchase, 
and go home, for example, and for that product to be delivered to me next day and I can extend my day. I'm in a lovely shop with my wife, for example. That's a great experience. And I think that's a great change. And I also believe when you start to think about it from a brand perspective, the locations of retail as well, there's no longer you having to be number one on the high street anymore as this pandemic has taught us. As long as your product and brand is accessible in the local vicinity and service your customers, then you can use that as to your advantage. That's being smart, accessible, as well as from a business point of view, being more cost effective. So I think that's really interesting. Dan, you know, just made the point that consumers will scout out potential purchases before seeing them in store. So you do your research online before you even set foot in a store. And and that's really interesting. And what we're learning here, I think, is probably broadly about the general public's relationship with commerce is changing due to the shift to online. But what about from a B2B perspective? Let's hear what Dan had to say. How does this actually then translate back into a B2B world? So I've got a great story. It's the one that I'm working with a wonderful client of mine who provides training services in the electrical arena. Prior to the pandemic, they spoke about bringing 30 people to a classroom to teach highly technical educational needs. When the pandemic struck, we actually then brought those courses online. What really started to resonate with the customers, my customer, the opportunity was there to reach out to a wider audience. So first and foremost, can I cater for my existing customers through a virtual environment experience? Then there was the understanding, actually, I could broaden my reach, reach out to new customers and serve a greater number of people at any given time. We're not talking local territories. The global reach is suddenly very accessible to new audiences to tap into from a B2B perspective. And just to give you a stat in that perspective, today, 30% of online sales in the B2B space are happening without this functionality available. So there is a huge opportunity for us to accelerate how we engage with our customers, provide the best experience and help them accelerate and grow their businesses as well. I think there is lots of learnings that we can embrace and bring online. From an enterprise level, there is naturally going to need to be a face-to-face conversation and wider aspects to consider. But as we understand as well, businesses who have now learned to productize their offering and wrap it up into very distinct buckets of services or whatever it may be and provide this as an online experience to even accelerate their pipeline. It may not be the definitive purchase, but at least this online experience and the learnings we've gathered from e-commerce has accelerated the way we do business. So for example, we all want to get what we call the new normal. What is the new normal? Are we entertaining initial conversations with our professional colleagues in a face-to-face environment? Then we've moved from point one to point three quite quickly to then having those more meaningful conversations face-to-face. Professionals to professional businesses who are looking to validate their customers before truly engaging. So I've put processes in place that searches automated, automated searches that validate the credentials of these parties before they truly go into more stringent conversations about their requirements, needs, challenges, etc. But what e-commerce has taught us in the pandemic is there's nuances that we can take and weave together to build a better future. Dan here is really helping us get an insight into how e-commerce is evolving business, not just with consumers, but also with companies and brands. But how does it need to improve? What do we need to emphasize to push e-commerce to the next level? 
I think customer experience is the element that we really need to emphasize on actually as a learning for e-commerce. So first and foremost, to be on demand. Secondly, personalization, making it really resonate with the audiences, whether that's a consumer personalization of what shirt, shoes, bike versus actually business decision. I have a business need, demand, challenge, and are you the right fit? And are you accessible at any given moment in time? So these automation tools are certainly a necessity. I think they're also the balance is key in this future life because people want to be served on demand. Sometimes they do want that human interaction. Actually, they might appreciate a level of automation to gather the information they require to make that decision but maybe not necessarily have to wait for a human sort of interaction. So again, there are things that we've embraced during this last 18 months that have really sort of changed our thinking. So we worked with a fabulous customer who recognized the need that they need to elevate how they service their customers online. This is unfortunately in the world of debt recovery, a little bit of a sore subject matter for most, but actually how they differentiated themselves from their competitors was actually to empower the customers to self-serve. So one, validate exactly who they are, truly analyze where they are in terms of a financial status, what they truly can afford to repay and, and manage their own repayment plans, etc. This customer experience, heightened customer experience, elevated the brand empowered their customers but it changed the positioning of this business it was not one that was there to just purely collect money it was actually to help those on the path to financial recovery and as a result of that experience being heightened then they could actually reach out to their customers from a b2b perspective to service and support wider contexts. so this has been a change a positive change in this current market to better service the needs of their customers and take their business forwards I have another customer, a phone call yesterday, where this business has been created within 18 months. 18 months from startup, they are turning over 35 million a month. Oh my God, what do they do? They've created a business that brings modular systems to businesses to vet and make sure that their business and workforce can remain as operational as it possibly can. But they recognize that actually this pandemic, hopefully, God forbid, will move on. But what is the future of the business? If they're just purely focused on what serving customers at any given time, some online facilities to book appointments, to run these tests on demand, but actually to keep the business and commerce world operational, we need these results at a much faster pace. They've then identified future products, productizations of that. So again, as we said before, clearly distinct product services within your business is an advantage and something that we've learned from the e-commerce world. So they've got their primary category, but they're also thinking about the future. So they've started to dabble and think about wider health attributions. So are we looking into your bloods, your diabetes, for example, anything else that can just really make sure that how we look after our staff is the first and foremost is paramount because A, we want to look after the people. That's the core assets of any business. But secondly, Keeping a healthy workforce will naturally just mean that the business will remain operational that much more than in the current market. Wow. Thank you, Dan. That was really interesting. This episode has really emphasized e-commerce. It's got a really central part in a modern business, whether you're B2C or B2B, it really doesn't matter. With, with this in mind, do you even need anything but digital? Hmm. There's a very quick final snippet. I met with Yukema Utaru from Dakaru. And we'll be hearing 
more from in another episode. But I wanted to ask her if you can grow a market using just digital. And this is what Yakemi had to say. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of when I started my first business, a content marketing agency in 2016. And I'd just come out of a lot of large corporate organizations. That's where I'd worked all my career. And I was good at social media. I had an affinity for it. I didn't have to be told or coerced. And one of the first things I did was to go on social media and talk all about my new venture. I was all over LinkedIn. I was all over Facebook. And I spent, I would say, the first two months, there was a lot of content coming out from me on digital channels and I got engagement. People were commenting, liking and so on, but I wasn't getting any clients. And I remember just feeling like, well, this doesn't make any sense. I'm getting a lot of people obviously wishing me well, a lot of people following my business pages. Why isn't this turning into clients? And after a few different conversations, I realized that apart from the digital channels, at least back in 2016, people wanted to know you. They wanted to meet you. They wanted to engage with you somewhere outside the digital sphere, almost to know that you're real and that you're somebody that they would like in real life. And really just not putting all your eggs in one basket around digital, looking at other traditional marketing methods. So now, even though I would say everyone's really ramped up on digital, even as a business at Ducaro, we are beginning to see more and more that you can't ignore non-digital channels because things flip all the time. And depending on your target audience, they want to be able to engage with you outside digital sphere because there's this feeling that online things are dressed up in a certain way. You're competing for attention you know, with a lot of different people, competitors, indirect and direct competitors. And so if you can be a little bit different and send that handwritten note, right? Go to that networking event, put on some great events, provide something that is just different from what your competitors are doing. I think that really boosts what you're doing around marketing. And I know it might be a bit tenuous because digital is where everyone's getting pushed to, but I would say do not forsake non-digital channels And the final note on that would be what happened on Facebook and Instagram the other week, right? It just went off, basically. So if your business heavily dependent on these channels, you would have found quickly that you not only need to have multiple digital presences, you also need to look at what you're doing offline as well. Thank you so much, Jerry, Dan and Yakemi for coming onto the podcast and giving us the benefit of your wisdom. Well, there's so much to unpack from today's episode. To start with, I think we have to keep in mind what Jerry said in the first part of the episode. Direct-to-consumer is not a new thing. It's been around for donkey's years. Ordering products from the manufacturer, has it's been done for decades. But with the pandemic changing where we work, it's also changed where we shop. More and more companies and brands can reap the rewards of e-commerce, but it doesn't mean everything is that different or that it's all just about what happens online. Your product still needs to look good when it arrives. It still needs to be on time and humans still need to be within reach to help your customers. Something Dan predicted in the episode really struck me. Nothing quite compares to the pleasure of shopping in person. It's why the hybrid model of shopping that Dan talked about where we scout purchases online and then see them for ourselves in person. That highlighted me that consumers, you know, we still want human touch. We are sociable beings. And I think that's why you came with anecdotes at the end is so poignant. People buy people at the end of the day. And if you want satisfied customers, even from a B2B perspective, those fundamentals that make great customer service, they still apply. So that's it. Thank you very much for listening to another episode of Marketing Trek. And we hope to see you next time. Next week, 
on Marketing Trek, we have a very, very special treat for you. In the show, we're going to be talking about one of the hottest topics in marketing right now. Uh, Ritson's been all over it. The B2B Marketing Institute's been all over it. People are debating it on LinkedIn every week. And that is, how do you balance utility and magic in marketing? And uh, this is a topic um, I saw Robert Senior talk about when he was the keynote at the Ignite Marketing Conference in 2021. Robert is the ex-worldwide CEO of Saatchi Saatchi. He's a board member of sports brand, Castore, sportswear brand, I should say. He's an investor at Red Rice Ventures. He also, among other things, happens to be chair of uh, Selby Anderson. And he comes on the show and helps us identify the importance of magic in marketing and how to communicate your message in a digital world. Uh, and he is amazing. And we've also got the incredible Yukami Otaru, who you will have heard on previous episodes. Um, and she reinforces why kind of the head has to rule the heart when it comes to marketing and how you need to prioritize the need of your customers if you want to find the sweet spot between you know the, the, the poles that are utility and magic. You know, a lot of people think it's all one thing or the other. And in this episode, we've got two people making a very good case for both. Please, please don't miss that episode. I am deeply grateful to you for listening to this episode of Marketing Trek. I know your time is extraordinarily precious because mine is too, but I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I would be very grateful if you would please subscribe on whatever your favorite channel is, but I'd be even more grateful if you'd write us a review. If you don't want to do that publicly, you can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Dom Hawes at Selby Anderson. Please send me a connection request and please send me a message and I would be delighted to receive feedback, both good and bad. This podcast was recorded at Terminal Studios. You can find that at terminalstudios.co.uk and the show was produced by Selby Anderson. You can find us at selbyanderson.com. Thank you. Mm-hmm.